Well, hello. My goodness. It is, wow. It, it's so funny being in the front row and then you look back and you're like, oh, wow, this, this, this grew in, uh, in the, over the course of 10 minutes. Uh, but uh, I, one, I just want to give it up for uh, Mickey and Chris Dad. And I don't know where your wife is, if she's back there with, but, um, but uh, let's just give it up. You guys have a gift in them. Seriously. Uh, I, uh, I've had a crush on you guys uh, from far away uh, for, some, for some time here. And uh, as Mickey said, we, we've been involved in this cohort uh, together, which really has been a blessing. Um, but one of the, I think my, my favorite memories from this cohort uh, is uh, actually a couple days ago, we had uh, a BIPOC meeting. We had some uh, uh, our friends of color uh, all together in a round table. And, uh, you know, when you're in settings like this, um, again, no shame to those who, uh, who, who brought this cohort into existence, but uh, there was a lot of white people, you know, um, kind of like Haley Joe Osment in The Sixth Sense. You know, you're like, uh, I see white people. Um, but again, I, I mean, I'm married to a white, uh, incredible Canadian, and, but she has even probably a deeper heart for social justice than I do. Um, but even in that setting, what was so almost liberating was being able to have language and speak to some of the things that oftentimes we can pretend don't exist, right? And uh, even the, the work, the incredible work that you're doing, Dan, I, again, we need that language. And especially, especially in, the, in the church and being a people of God, oftentimes we can kind of just sweep that stuff under the rug. Um, so I love being around Asians, like my AAPI people, like to be honest, I grew, so I grew up, I was born in New York and then, uh, went to high school in Connecticut and my high school was consisted of, uh, majority white and Puerto Rican people. Again, no Filipinos. So I had a lot of family here in the Bay, uh, Daly City, LOL, um, but, but really there was a sense of my goodness, I did not feel at home, anywhere. And being a first-generation Filipino-American AAPI, uh, there was this sense of, uh, is it okay to kind of speak to that? Uh, so if any of you are in uh, any context where language is really hard to pursue, and uh, you, you almost feel uh, alienated from the environments that God has placed you in, I, I hope that today this can be a word for you. Um, so as, as uh, you know, <laughs> our conversation happened last night, uh, we are going to be talking about peacemaking. And uh, consider it like lovemaking, but peace. Is that okay? Yeah, amen. <laughs> All right, let's go to Matthew chapter 5. Let's just read this together, if you can go to that first slide. It says this, Blessed are the peacemakers. For they will be called the children of God. Have you ever made something? You know, created something? You know, the creator of all things has actually created us to be what? Creators. It's really funny because when I, I speak to a lot of people in our context as well in D.C., uh, you've got a lot of guys that are uh, in, in the context of I fit a, a silo. I know my assignment, right? 
I am not naturally a creative. I just crunch numbers, and I get paid a lot of money to do that. And oftentimes what I hear, even in the people of God, is that, oh, I'm not really creative. I wear the same dry fit every day. You know, it's a... <laughs> it's true, though. <laughs> but I think that is a gross misunderstanding of the Creator. If we were created in God's image, of course we are what? Creators. But what's so beautiful about being the blessed ones is that when we are called into that reality, into our identity, one of the, 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 I think the tenets of our identity is what? Peacemaking. That we were actually called to make peace. As Dan already mentioned, the idea of shalom is a Hebrew concept, right? And shalom really is kind of our, it is our foundational, uh, when we look back, kind of our lineage of peace. But as the Greek kind of came into existence, this word peace was actually enhanced past shalom. And that word is nopoyas, right? Which is kind of a weird, you know, I, I, was, uh, I, I wrote it phonetically, so I don't get it wrong. Uh, but the, the last part, it's nopoyas, king, you know, yas, queen, right? But this idea is to reconcile. That actually being a peacemaker is to not just create this sense of conflict avoidance, but conflict resolution. That we are called to renew, to renovate, to restore. Isn't that the great call of a disciple of Jesus? Is the restoration project. To look at something that was broken and bring it back to its original intent. Oftentimes in our journey in following Jesus, we can think about this meritocracy. Oh, I got to do better. I got to create more. I got to, I just got to, you know. But part of that tension is not understanding. It's out of our identity that this should be born. We have a factory reset button to press. And first, that starts within. If you're like me, the past few years has almost felt like another factory reset button. It sucked. <laughs> like, the, the past few years have sucked. It's been painful. You may have, maybe it was something as kind of minuscule seeming as losing some friends. Maybe losing a job. Maybe losing some of the comforts of going to the same coffee shop that you would go to and not being able to go without a mask, right? But even those little moments are painful. Maybe it is some of the narratives of your specific tribal community have come right to the forefront and have been trigger warnings for you. Whatever it might be, know that we were called to make peace. And making peace doesn't mean pretending like nothing has happened or letting bygones be bygones. You hear that, right? But actually, making peace is full of tension. 
It's dangerous. It hurts. It's a little awkward. But I promise you, when we make peace, we get to participate in the great restoration story. Peacemaking is a renewal. It's a renovation, a restoration project all in one. It's a sacred pathway to being reminded who we were always meant to be. The loving children of God. On this pathway of peace creation, I'm going to take us through three different ways I I see us creating peace. We make peace with what we're handed, right? Some of us have been handed some pretty challenging realities. But we're making peace with the painful pasts that we have, the pattern presence that we experience, but also the perplexing perspective of the future. So let's take us through our painful past. Next slide. We got to make peace with our painful past. Raise your hand if you have experienced trauma in your life. Raise your hand if it's hard for you to admit that you have experienced some sort of trauma in your life. Raise your hand if the past few years you've experienced some trauma in your life. Raise your hand if you didn't know you experienced some pieces of trauma until the past few years of your life. My hand is way way up. And here's what's interesting is trauma, it's much more than a psychological issue. It's a deeply embedded spiritual one. You know, in John chapter 4, we find a woman at a well. And it's a very common, uh, commonly known passage, and it's a familiar story. And what we do is we forget in the ho-hum of the lullaby effect that her identity as a Samaritan was basically committing to the fact that her ancestral past has already marked her life and the patterns she'd find herself in. And the future that seemed all too clear, just by the fact that she was a Samaritan woman, it was almost as if that was going to be the script of her life. That that was her truest identity. And here's the reality. It's not just the fact that she was Samaritan, but she was a woman. Raise your hand if it's hard out here for a woman, because my goodness, I'm like, I I feel for y'all. But even when we read that passage in that context and the fact that Jesus met her at the well as a man who's Jewish. So much tension in that moment. You know, for her, she came to the well and it was not well with her soul. No, there was no right. No peace flowing like a river here. But you know the story. She, here, she, she hears her whole life being exposed by a strange Jewish man who shouldn't be interacting with her. Yet instead of using the past as ammunition, decimating the value of her existence, what does she do? He activates her past to quench the thirst of her hurt. It was an act of defiance to define her by his words. 
You know, has there been a time that you've engaged with the scriptures and almost wanted to deflect the words that were being spoken to you? That you are a child of the creator God. Every time I hear that I'm a child of God, part of my heart deflects it. Why? You don't want, you don't want to adopt me. Are you kidding? Me? I'm not your child. You've abandoned me. <laughs> or maybe if you truly knew what was going on behind closed doors, would you still want to welcome me into your house? You don't want me. If your nature is to deflect, I actually think you have so much in common with this woman at the well whose soul was not well. She was a woman not marked by the, as a friend of mine said, the depth of her well, and it was like five men deep, (laughs) but the thirst of her soul. You can go to the next slide. There's a Japanese philosopher that basically spoke this quote into existence, Daisaku Ikeda. It says, to communicate the truths of history is an act of hope for the future. You know, some of us actually need to confront our past. And maybe ways that we just want to move quickly and move kind of past all of that and let bygones be bygones, but perhaps peace doesn't have a home in your house because you are afraid to approach your past. You know, Jesus, when he brought up the five men she was with, one of them who she called her husband, who in fact was not her husband, and he knew, (laughs) you know, awkward conversation, He didn't use it as ammunition. He actually used it as the very thing that can unlock the thirst that she had. Some of us are afraid to talk about some of the dirty things that we have in our closet. And it's not just confession and it's not just sin. But maybe it is some of the trauma that we've experienced in our life. I want to encourage you. It's not just go to therapy and just get that thing done. But it is engaging with your creator God to know that, oh my goodness, that was not what you were made for. And I am so, so deeply sorry. (laughs) But it does go to show just how much God believes in our resilience. I'm a first-generation uh, Asian-American, right? And I, oftentimes it's so good to go back to my parents' uh, inception into this country. And uh, the more and more I realize what they went through, right? And we, we probably all have our own stories. The more I realize, oh, my goodness, there is a lot for me to learn through their pain. But it was a lot. And the fact that my parents had to ship me back to the Philippines for five years in my very formative years from like zero to five. Uh, and I don't remember that, but they remember that. And now they're trying to make up for all of the missed years that they had. And for me, I'm just like, dude, chill out. I am a grown man, you know, like. But I have to remember, oh, my goodness, that educates the way that I should approach my parents now. 
But there's beauty awaiting us when we are ready to address our past. Amen? And maybe for you, maybe it's revisiting your family, right? Maybe you're estranged from your family, but really revisiting some of those roots that are so difficult. I know for me, I'm going through a codependency recovery. And yes, in Filipino households, we are codependent as they come. Oh, I do not want you to be uh, oh, sorry. I'm sorry. So, so much of consideration where I'm like, no, just let them be in their filth and pain for a while. Give us some space, you know. And I think for me, that, that's, <laughs> it's embedded in my DNA, right? Maybe some of us need to go through some genogramming, you know. Pete Scazzaro has some amazing work that really looks at kind of our history. Don't take 23andMe if you're not white. But uh, anyways, that's a different <laughs> conversation for a different day. Uh, but, but still, to be able to look at, man, some of the behavioral patterns of our history. Perhaps the pain of our past finds continual potency because of peace not being welcomed in your home. Let's let the peace in. Amen? But next, uh, next slide here, is the idea that, wow, as peacemakers, we are called to address the pattern present. The present around us, there are some patterns that this world actually has been almost hot-wired to believe. That we're like mindless drones that are just functioning in this cog, right? If anything, the pandemic has definitely exposed that we are people out of rhythm, right? We feel so rushed in our life, and I know the Bay is full of that, right? But there is this sense where we are called back to address the toxic patterns that we see around us. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed into Jesus' likeness. That don't you know that those who were called to be just like Jesus were transformed back to who we were always meant to be? Not into this other you. Actually, it's... The you, you were always supposed to be. Don't you know that if we were created by this divine being, that he probably knows you better than you know you. And that's a hard pattern to trust. But we function in this way where, man, oh, I resonate with that. So let me just, let me just stay in this camp for a while and to kind of chill in this cycle of doing things for a while instead of, wow, the creator wants me to express myself in the ways that he's called for me to express myself from the beginning. Wow. We need to be freed from these patterns that we've allowed ourselves to succumb to. You know, in Romans, it was interesting, even as Paul addressed the church in Rome, he was dealing with some weird stuff. There were two opposing parties, right? There were the Gentile Christians and the Jewish Christians. And these Jewish Christians were trying to get these Gentile Christians to become Jewish before they became Christian. 
which is kind of a conflict in and of itself. To be real, it's almost like if I went to this white church and this white guy was like, you need to become white and then you can become Christian, right? Or flip vice versa. I'm looking at my wife. You're in an Asian church right now and you need to become Asian before you become Christian. But if we're not careful, we fall into these patterns of tribalism that are dangerous. And again, it's not mere diversity, though diversity is so important. But we need to address the hearts. I know for me growing up, I was placed into situations in which I had to be around so many different kinds of colors and faces, even generations. I think what was difficult for me was that, oh, all I wanted to do was not be with my people, right? Not to be with Filipinos. And actually, I appreciate even Mickey he had some comments the other day that really resonated with me. But one of my dreams was to, to be in a situation in which no one looked like me. But in reality, there were some deep issues that were there that I needed to address. You know, uh, Dr. Loritz, uh, Brian Loritz, his next quote, or next slide, he says this, I am not afraid of the word tension. I've earnestly opposed violent tension. But there is a type of constructive, nonviolent tension which is necessary for growth. Just as Socrates felt that it was necessary to create a tension in the mind so that individuals could rise from the bondage of myths and the half-truths to unfettered realm of creative analysis and objective appraisal. So, uh, so must we see the need for nonviolent gadflies to create the kind of tension in society that will help people rise from the dark depths of social injustice to the majestic heights of understanding and spiritual brotherhood. Tension. That perhaps the most sinister pattern that we see around us is not even the overt issues that we clearly see. But it is the underlying tension that we are not ready or willing to address. The micro-aggressive things. Maybe it is the word of, hey, dude, I, I kind of feel, um, I feel a little awkward when I'm hanging out with your friends. I feel a little out of place. And I don't know if that's just an insecurity that I just need to be open about. But I feel like if I withhold this from you, then then it'll create a root and pattern of bitterness that needs to be eradicated. Maybe it is you have someone older, a, a, an older uh, person in the faith that wants to mentor you, right? But it's a bit triggering. Because they might represent maybe a color or a generation that feels a little, I don't know, unwelcoming to you. To be able to address that, speak to that, have some language saying, you know what? 
I don't know why, but I just don't feel safe with you. And I want to talk about that with you. And I'm asking for you to pray through that with me. That's how we transform and not conform. Because conformity says, I don't need to talk about it. Let's let bygones be bygones. And I will be over here while you chill over there. Tension. You know, we talk about it in marriage all the time, right? If there is something, you know, that kind of like weird elephant in the room that you never address, then you're just roommates. You're not actually married partners. And we need that. So whatever that might be, whatever kind of, uh, you know, tension-filled language needs to come out, I pray that you feel released. Released to have that in this community and the communities that all of you touch. Amen? You know, I met, um, I met Archbishop uh, Desmond Tutu uh, when I was uh, a senior in high school. And it was right after my uh, senior year of high school. I, I worked as like a, a waiter for this, um, basically it was like a, um, a catering company in Connecticut. And they had these like random bougie parties that we'd like go to. And basically I was at like a debutante ball. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, it's a bunch of like rich kids who will probably all have like uh, inheritances larger than humanity. Uh, and... Basically, I'd go, you know, I went as a waiter, and then all of a sudden, there's this guy in a purple robe that comes out, uh, and he starts spitting facts, and I'm like, oh my goodness gracious, that's Archbishop Desmond Tutu. And of course, nobody that was there knew who he was. And so I'm sitting there with, like, my plate of hors d'oeuvres on hand, and I'm like, oh, what? And as he's spitting, like, straight fire, like, the entire time... One of the things that he said was, basically, he was like, my fear with this generation is that they will not know pain truly. And I was like, are you guys getting this? Like, stop eating the things I just handed to you. And as he's talking, you know, he stops and he waits up out there like a good pastor does and and waits for people to maybe come to him in conversation. And nobody comes to him. You know, everybody's just, I mean, at that time, everybody was using sidekicks. So they're just like on their sidekick, right? Um, And then I come up to him and I'm like, Archbishop, I'm so grateful for your words. And I'm so sorry for my generation. And he was like, yeah, you heard what I said. Uh, My fear with your generation is that we'll not truly understand pain. And I was just like, ah, you know, like. I'm going to let these words wash over me. But, you know, as he talked, he talked about uh, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission that he helped uh, champion. And in South Africa, if you don't know about apartheid, uh, apartheid was a big deal and crazy. You know, talk about microaggressions and macroaggressions, like all of the aggressions. Um, But basically, the idea behind this is when uh, Mandela came into power, uh, basically, his camp... Uh, wanted to actually address some of the underlying and unspoken atrocities that happened. And, uh, you know, literally they got everyone together in a room to talk about every single crime that was committed during apartheid. But here was the interesting part about that, was that they were not given the penalty that they deserved. 
Tutu and Mandela wanted to channel this part of Jesus' character. That yes, we need to talk about it. But what you're expecting to come might not come. The slap in the face that you're expecting to come might not come. The severance of your head that you're expecting to come probably won't come. But it is the painful kiss on the cheek. Some of us need to have our own truth and reconciliation commissions. And whatever that might look like, whether on a small scale in your friend group or on a larger scale in the communities that you live in, that continue to pretend like the inequities are not there. Whatever that might be, let's address the pattern present. And lastly, this coming for a landing here. Peacemakers address the perplexing prospect of the future. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, you might know it. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we don't see. The sureness of hope. Here's the difference between biblical hope and humanistic hope. Humanistic hope is wishful thinking, right? Uh, I hope this will happen. Uh, you know, will she say yes? Maybe. Uh, well, will I get to go, like, to my favorite, I don't know, like, restaurant tonight? Maybe. If I feel up to it, you know, that's the hope, right, that we kind of channel. But biblical hope is what? It's going to happen. There's a sureness. Why? Because of who gives it. You know, the perplexing prospect of the future, a lot of us really just don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And some of us have decided to embark on endeavors that maybe, right, maybe if you look back, Everything that you wished happened and hoped would happen, happened. But maybe some of us decided to move somewhere. And you had a vision of what that would look like. But then that vision didn't go as planned. Are we still willing to make peace with the perplexing future? You know, uh, we have got some friends of ours. You can uh, go to the next slide. Uh, out in Moldova, and uh, you know, we we've partnered with uh, uh, a group of churches in our network, and basically uh, has sent out different mission teams uh, to Eastern Europe. And both consisted uh, half of the team is consisted of people from Eastern Europe, and the other half are people who just have a heart for the mission of Jesus. And uh, as they've gone the past three years, they've gone to Kiev, uh, they've gone to um, Budapest. And they've gone to now Moldova. And uh, they just got done with their time in Kiev. But as, you know, they invested their whole hearts, some of them are from Kiev, to that community, to building God's kingdom there. Now that they're nestled on Moldova, and if you don't know, Moldova is like the western tip of the Ukraine. 
And essentially, now they've had to house some of the people from the church and from the surrounding communities into their homes, and they've actually rented out this whole hotel to be able to uh, basically create a home for refugees. But as I've talked to some of those on the team, I asked them, was this part of your plan? I don't think any one of them thought that they were going to have to house refugees in a warring conflict when they thought about the mission of Jesus. Maybe some of us were just like, you know what, I just want to, I am guilty of this, especially being in D.C., I just want to get to a vibey coffee shop and start a church out of there and then, you know, get all of the pourovers, all of the pourovers, and, and essentially, like, have the right music and the right crew and have, you know, the right age groups represented and, you know, a bunch of foliage in the back because we're good plant parents and all of these different things. That's what I want in the mission of Jesus. But the reality is, what if he calls me to a different place? You know, one of our hearts in D.C. is really to to bring the heartbeat of Jesus to a capital that is totally out of rhythm with his his cadence. But one of the things, too, is, uh, you know, like here, uh, there are so many uh, people that have grown up here, that have been from here, and have finding an erasure of their culture. And in D.C., uh, there's a, this uh, an affectionate term called Chocolate City. And basically, D.C., I mean, D.C.'s pushing all of those from Chocolate City out. And who's pushing them out? Tech companies and all of a sudden, all of these people who have an aspiration to work on the Hill. And not to villainize the tech companies or the people on the Hill, but what needs to happen is a marriage between the dignitary and the downtrodden. We can't villainize the wrong villain. So maybe for us, the call to a perplexing prospect is the prospect of going to some dangerous corners that your heart finds resistance to. And again, I'm not villainizing pour over coffee. I love it. I just had it. Um, But here's the reality. We're called to make peace in a world bankrupt of it. And I cannot wait to see what God unlocks in his people. Whether that is for the next two days or the rest of the years that we get to live. Let's make peace. Let's pray and welcome the spirit in our peacemaking. Spirit, you help us understand the true definition of peace. In conflict, when we see ammunition being pointed towards our direction, you are our great shield. You give us the strongholds when we are weak. And when we perceive that we are strong, you help us realize that we have no strength without you. You provide perfect peace. You give us the peace that transcends understanding, that will guard our hearts and minds in your Son.
I pray for the inner wars that are going on inside of our hearts. Release us from them. Give us an understanding of our own hearts that can't be achieved without the language that you have provided through your son. I pray for the wars around us. Dad, the inequities in our communities, the tensions that we are not uh, full of courage enough to address, but know that you've given us the courage through our identities as your children. And I pray that as we start with our streets, that those streets can saturate the rest of the world around us. That through our own transformation, we can conform into your likeness, Dad. When we are weak, you are strong. 